Welcome to Kingdom Family Talks with Leif Hedlund. We invite you into the conversation and celebration of what God is doing around the world through his sons and daughters. Leif shares insights into what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's culture. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, welcome to Kingdom Family Talk, and this is Leif Hetland, and I have this great honor of having Dr. R.T. Kendall with me. I had the honor of meeting Dr. R.T. Kendall about 21 years ago, when we organized the first Word, Spirit, and Power Conference in Columbus, Georgia. But he actually had an influence in my life even before then, uh, through his books, his teaching, And uh, Dr. Arty Kendall has been a person that has been like a plumb line, helping me to have a plumb line in my faith. And just the way that he has been uh, honoring the word of God and also helping me to be able to know that God is bigger than I think. So I continue to change the way I think. He's the author of 60 books and uh, was also a very close friend of Papa Jack. So Dr. Arty Kendall, it is such an honor to have you here. Uh, You honor me. Thank you, Leif. Yeah. So I want to just have a little conversation, uh, first of all, about Papa Jack. What what impact did Papa Jack have on your life or, or how was your friendship? So tell me a little bit about it. Well, um, the thing is, he's the one that helped me to start a ministry in my own country, America. See, we were uh, almost 30 years in England. And uh, when it came time to go back to America... I had no future over here, and uh, but it just happened a year before we retired, he and I were scheduled to have a, they called it Word and Spirit, a weekend at uh, First Baptist Church, Ada, Oklahoma. And uh, we got on well, uh, we liked each other, and, and then on the Monday morning, <laughs> Jack <laughs> came into the living room and said, RT, I'm gonna make you rich and famous. <laughs> And uh, so he said, I want you and me. We want to team up and do Word Spirit conferences. Well, it just happened that a few months before I had met Charles Curran. I said, look, could we get Charles in on it and call it Word Spirit Power? And Jack said, I think that'll work. So that's how it was started. And uh, so Jack really gave me a beginning after retirement uh, because uh, nobody in America ever heard of me. I'd been in England 30 years. Uh, so it was real nice. So that was the first thing to say. And, and then uh, we got on well. And theologically, there was a lot of reciprocity, uh, openness to the spirit and putting the word first and all that. And then Charles, uh, we were very fond of Charles. And uh, he, <laughs> I am the so-called <laughs> word man, Jack, the spirit man. And Charles, the power man, it uh, doesn't mean that he wasn't word or Jack wasn't word, but that was sort of the emphasis and power would be uh, imputed to uh, Charles Crime because he'd pray for people and they'd fall. And it took the power to do that. People that didn't want to fall would usually ask me to pray for them. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, that is funny. I was just also thinking, I know you followed a man named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in, in the pulpit at Westminster Chapel. What impact did he have? Was he a spiritual father to you or mentor? Or what would you consider him? Yeah, well, he was my chief mentor, no doubt about that. Uh, he is the man that put me in Westminster Chapel. 
to quote him verbatim, I and I alone put you there. <laughs> and uh, it just so happened that uh, he liked me and uh, he knew I liked him. Theologically, we were identical. I mean, identical. And uh, that was the key. And uh, uh, he used to say to me, don't forget your Nazarene background. I don't know if you know what that means, Leif. Uh, yeah. Church of the Nazarene, they were kind of a John Wesley holiness movement. They, they were not Pentecostal, I need to tell you, they were not. And, but Lloyd-Jones had read a biography of the founder of the Church of the Nazarene. His name was Phineas Brzee. And in Brzee's latter days, he would go from church to church, Nazarene churches, with one message, keep the glory down, keep the glory down. Wow. Because Brzee knew that if they lost that, they were finished because they didn't have any money, they didn't have any powerful people, didn't have any in intellectuals, but they had one thing, the glory. People would come to the churches to laugh and mock and they'd get saved. That's the kind of power. And so Lloyd-Jones, knowing that I am a Calvinist, but he knew all these Calvinists in Britain, I mean, dozens and dozens. As a matter of fact, <laughs> they said, <laughs> let me get the right figure, I think over 60 people preached there for the three years, they were without a minister. And uh, every one of them tried to be more like Dr. Lloyd-Jones. Yeah. And uh, Lloyd-Jones, he used the expression, perfectly orthodox, perfectly useless. <laughs> and I came in with the same theology, but he saw in me something, and he knew it was my Nazarene background, which had not completely you know, diminished. I'm grateful for my Nazarene background. And he felt that that was what gave me a certain warmth that the reformed men didn't have. This would not make them happy, but it's, I'm telling you what he told me. He said, they've got no personality. Uh, they're dead. And, he said, and anyway, Lloyd-Jones put me there. And then for the first four years of my ministry, I was in and out of his house. And every Thursday, for sure, from 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock, two hours, every Thursday, the first four years I was there, I would go over my sermon preparation for the following weekend. Mm -hmm. So you could say that all of my earliest sermons, the first four years, they were vetted by Martin Lloyd-Jones. <laughs> and I've often said, Leif, I'm the most fortunate preacher in the history of the Christian church. I'll tell you why I say that. I had an Oxford education and Martin Lloyd-Jones to spoon feed me for four years after wow. that. And I don't think anybody could match that in church history. And uh, so we were uh, like father and son. And he once said that his mantle had fallen on me. But then that did not make a lot of reformed people happy. <laughs> I don't think we better go into that. Anyway, I'll try to answer Yeah, another thing that, uh, there's so many things about your, your life that fascinates me, but one is, of course, you know my work in the Muslim world. And I know that you prayed for President Arafat. First of all, you got to meet him. You got to share Jesus with 
him. But how did you, because I remember the story, but I would like the listeners to know, how did you, or why do you think that God gave you favor for the President Arafat, first of all, to meet with you, but even to listen to you? Yeah. I think the start was in Trafalgar Square in London. I was sitting there with Arthur Blessed. We were eating ice cream cones and he had mentioned Yasser Arafat uh, in his sermons because I'd had him preach for me. I said, Arthur, tell me about Yasser Arafat. But he told me things and I was so gripped. I said, you know what? I'm gonna start praying for him. And I started praying for Arafat every day, every day, every day. I never thought I'd meet him. I never thought I'd meet him. Well, that would have been in 1982. Wow. Well, 20 years later, I'm in Israel. And uh, the Archbishop of the Canterbury's envoy, Canon uh, Andrew White, had... Uh, heard that I was in Israel and he'd been trying for years to get me to come to Israel with him, but it never worked out. But here I am in Israel, uh, leading a tour of British uh, Christians. And uh, the bottom line on a Tuesday evening, January 2nd, 2002, Andrew White phoned me and said, Yasser Arafat will see you tomorrow in Ramallah at 6 p.m. Wow. He said, you gotta be ready, come early. They'll, we gotta go through six checkpoints because that was when uh, the Israelis had closed down Ramallah. Uh, you couldn't get in there. And uh, Andrew White was the only human being on the planet that had the favor with the Israelis and the Palestinians. So he alone, no one else, managed to pull it off. And uh, so he took me with him uh, and going one through one checkpoint after another and guns staring right at us. Uh, but he would show his identification and, and he'd ask questions and go to another. You would think after one, they would radio ahead and said, this man's okay. We go to the next checkpoint, start all over again. Well. Finally, we got inside the compound and there is Arafat in this room and he walks up to me and I said to him, I'm your friend. Tears filled his eyes. He kissed me mm. on the cheek. I could feel the wetness <laughs> of his lip. Wow. And he said, you're more than a friend. Wow. Well, I thought it would be a 15 minute visit. So did Andrew White just a 15 minute visit. We were there for almost two hours, an hour and 45 minutes, hour and 50 minutes. Uh, and do you know what? I had more sense of the power of God than I'd had in a long time. I was at ease, I was calm, and I had one motive, one motive, and that was to talk to him about Jesus and the death of Jesus on the cross. Uh, and so I wanted to emphasize Ra'is, that was what I was told to call him, Mr. President, Ra'is, uh, Jesus died on the cross. And he said, we believe that Jesus ascended to heaven. I said, wait a minute, not good <laughs> enough. He died first, rose from the dead, then ascended to heaven. And then he got out his Koran and came and sat next to me. 
opened his Koran as if I could read Arabic. <laughs> and he said, look at this, look at this. The only woman mentioned in the Koran is the Virgin Mary. I said, well, how interesting. That means according to the Koran, Jesus is supposed to be the son of God because he had no earthly father. And, and then so he closed the Koran, went back and, and sat down in front of me. And I just, do you know, it was just wonderful. Went back and forth. Now, I will tell you that uh, uh, Andrew White was, was there in the room with me. I was allowed to bring my two friends, Lyndon Bowering and uh, Alan Bell. And uh, uh, the, the famous statesman, the Palestinian statesman that died uh, just, uh, oh, three or four months ago, he was sitting across the desk and... Uh, he said, well, we believe that Jesus was a prophet. I said, he was more than a prophet. He was the son of God. And uh, this was Saleb Arakat. I don't know if you remember him. Uh, he could have been the next president of Palestine or Palestinians, but he didn't want to be. But he and I became very close. And by the way, after Arafat died, and I'll tell you this in case, in, in case you'd like to know, I sobbed. I cried like a baby. Wow. I loved him. Yeah. And he loved me. In fact, uh, <laughs> my third visit, my third visit with him, all the Palestinians were there. I, when I say all that, I don't mean all of them. I mean, the PLO was there. The Palestinian Liberation Organization, the main ones were there. And I had taken... The film. Do you remember Mel Gibson's film on the oh, crucifixion? Yeah. yeah, the Passion. Yeah. I got it into Ramallah, got it into customs. It was before it was even published. <laughs> and he was interested in seeing it. I mean, it was before it was out in the theaters. Mm. And I got it in, and he sat with me and watched it. And he invited all the PLO to watch it with me. Arafat cried like a baby. Wow. as he watched it. And, uh, and at the point where Jesus died on the cross and bowed his head and gave up the ghost, I said, Rais, he just died. He just died. And you know what? He was crying. He was crying. Now, you probably know this better than I. You, you reach uh, Muslims now. I'd I just had a little tiny time with them, but they don't believe that Jesus died on the cross. And I said, Aaron, he just died. He just died. And, and then when it was over, he stood up. I said, sit down. We were out of <laughs> give him orders, but he, he, he dutifully sat back down. I took his hand. I said, I want to pray. I said, Lord Jesus, thank you for the privilege of watching this film with Yasser Arafat, I ask you to show him by your Holy Spirit that Jesus actually died on the cross. And you know what happened? When I said that, Arafat squeezed my hand. <laughs> squeezed my hand. And I knew I had him with me. I, and from things Arthur Blessed had told me, look, I don't know that you want to use this whole time. You can have all the time you want. I could go on and on. Oh, I need to tell you about the next visit. The PLO were there again. 
and they had a translator, not for Arafat, but before the members of the PLO, so they could hear what I was saying to Arafat. Mm. And you might like to know that a church in Columbia, South Carolina, have you been there? Did yes, I? Steve Chitty. Yeah, well, Steve do you know what? His people prayed for me. They, <laughs> they, they were told that I was going into Ramallah either on a, a Thursday or a Friday. I don't know which. You know what? His church fasted both days. Wow. His, and so I told uh, Arafat, I said, there's a church in Columbia, South Carolina, praying for me right now as I talk to you. And I said, I want to make a proposition with you, Rais. I want you to go publicly and confess that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And the translator interrupted and said, stop, you are trying to convert him. I said, <laughs> I, said Rais, I just ignored it. I went back to Rais. I said, Rais, you are one of the bravest men in the history of the world. But what I'm going to ask you to do will take more courage than anything you've ever done in your life. I'm going to ask you to confess openly that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Stop, says the translator. You cannot do this. And Arafat looked at him and told him to stop. And then at that point, Andrew White came in because he was afraid we we're going to have an international scene. <laughs> Arafat looked at me and, and, and watched me. He looked at me and he went like this. He threw me a kiss. Wow. And his closest friend, when that meeting was over, followed me out of the compound and said, Dr. Kendall, I have never seen President Arafat so happy as he was today. Wow. <laughs> That's the kind of relationship. I actually ended up visiting five times. I had meals with him. It was, you know, we eat, hand me a falafel, put it on my plate, homos, piece of carrot. Uh, <laughs> he, he didn't smoke or drink. And I said, Arafat, I said, uh, no, I didn't call him Arafat. I said, President Arafat or Rais, if you don't smoke or drink, how do you get, get in, and he doesn't drink coffee. I said, how do you get woke up in the morning? You know what the answer <laughs> was? Sharon. <laughs> that's the, that was the living prime minister of Israel. Of Israel that time. Yeah. Prime yeah. minister Sharon. He said, that's how I get woke up. I just think about Sharon. Well, you know, it was wonderful. And different people of the, of the, cabinet walked up to me and said our president loves you well when he died i wept and uh i could say more but i i could tell you a ps story if you want to hear have you got two more minutes on this of course i would love to all right well look <laughs> now this is going to surprise you and i don't expect many people to believe me well they'll believe i'm telling the truth but they're not here's here's it here it is on the day after Arafat died, I get a phone call from Jerusalem. Her name, Connie. She's from Atlanta. Hmm. She's a very rich woman. She lived in the King David apartments in, in uh, Jerusalem and was very, very, very pro-Israel. But she called me 
I, I guess Andrew White gave her my phone number from Jerusalem the day after Arafat died. And she said, RT, I've got a story you might like to hear. As you know, I was not very happy about your relationship with Arafat. But I have to tell you one thing. This is my best friend in London who just phoned me an hour ago. And I thought you'd like to know what she said. I said, tell me. She said at two o'clock this morning, she had a vision and a voice said to her, Yasser Arafat is in heaven wow. because, <laughs> because of R.T. Kendall. Now this woman didn't even know me, didn't even know me. She told Connie, oh. <laughs> I had a vision at two o'clock this morning. Arafat's in heaven because of R.T. Kendall. Oh. And then the woman went on to say at seven o'clock in the morning, I turned on the television, Arafat died at 2 a.m. Wow. Now, one more story. The next day, no, no, it was the same day, same day, two, two hours later, I get a phone call from a friend in Yorkshire in England. He said at two o'clock yesterday morning, R.T., I was told, get out of the bed and pray. The Lord woke me up. says, pray for Yasser Arafat. Huh. Well, he said, I never prayed for Arafat in my life. He said, I get on my knees. I'm starting praying for Arafat. After a while, the Lord says, you can go back to bed. He said, I got <laughs> turn on the TV the next morning. Arafat died at 2 a.m. Same time. Incredible. So what do you make of that story? There it is. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. As I saying, I am involved in in situation, uh, not maybe on that level, but it's similar. Where I I'm not surprised oh. that I'm going to meet Arafat in heaven. I've seen a little bit too much to oh. to question yeah. the goodness and the kindness and the love of Papa God. <laughs> but oh. you made me cry. <laughs> oh. Okay, he he cried. Yeah, and and yeah. well, I I've said enough. I've said enough. I'm also, I was thinking about, I have so many stories of different encounters. I know when Louise went back and met with Rodney Howard Brown, but my question to you is, I know you have had some supernatural encounters, encounters with the Holy Spirit. What importance have encounters with God had for your life? I know you're, people are known, RT is known for theology, good theology, but I also know that you've had experiences okay. with the Holy Spirit. No, it's not good theology. RT stands for right theology. Right theology, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For right theology, yeah. Get that right. Not just good. that is yeah. No, it is it's right theology. Well, Rodney and I are good friends. Uh, yeah. and he needs my theology, actually. I tell him that. But what you're talking about preceded Rodney by 30 years. Yeah. It's what a lot of people don't know, although I, I don't hide it. It's in my two or three of my books. October 31st, 1955, I'm driving in my car here in Nashville, uh, not here, here in Tennessee, on my way from Palmer to Nashville, Tennessee, about 6.30 on a Monday morning, October 31st, 1955. As I'm driving, the glory of the Lord fills the car. The details would take longer than the story about Arafat. So I, I don't know how much you want. <laughs> yeah. Let me, I'll, I'll try to give you shorthand. The shorthand version is 
there was Jesus while I'm driving, praying for me at the right hand of God. I mean, it even what <laughs> how literal it was. I thought he's at the right hand of God. It, it's as real as looking at you right now. In fact, more real, more real than looking at you right now. Sure. And as he's praying for me, I thought he cares more about me than I do myself. And I could say a lot more, but now fast forward an hour later, as I'm driving through Smyrna, Tennessee, it's just about 20 miles outside Nashville. There was a vision again. Jesus said to the father, he wants it. Voice answered back to Jesus. He can have it. And in that second, my heart was warmed. It was like liquid fire. Went in and out of my chest. Zoop, zoop, like that. And for about 30 seconds to a minute, maybe not quite a minute, but I'd say over 30 seconds, I saw the face of Jesus. Wow. I saw his eyes and his nose. This is what I saw. Uh, I can't say I saw anything more, but I saw his eyes. He's looking right at me so tenderly. And uh, I do remember his nose. I've only seen one person in my lifetime that had a nose like that, looked just like him. Uh, I won't try to say more about it, but I, I saw him. And this is the most controversial part of all. And you can delete it if you're going to show this to anybody, if, if you think it's too controversial. No, I'm okay. I knew I was eternally saved. I mean, knew it that I would go to heaven when I die, no matter what I do between now and then. I mean, saved. Well, all my Nazarene friends, they heard about this. Oh, I see, be careful. I said, no, I'm saved. Yeah. You'll change your mind on that. Oh, that was 60 years ago. I've not changed. And that's what led me into my Calvinism. And I saw before the end of the day, Leif, I have to tell you, I, I believe in predestination, election. It was all revealed to me. Yeah. And I had never read a book by Calvin in my life. <laughs> I didn't read any of the period. I didn't know anything. It was, it was new. I thought I'd, you know what? I had several days, maybe a few weeks, that I thought I was the first to see this at the Apostle Paul. <laughs> well, turns out when I start reading theology, later on, you know, it's not new at all. I thought I had discovered something new. So people, they call me this theologian and all that. I'm telling you where I got it. You can make up it what you will. But the reason I believe what I do, it was direct revelation by the Holy Ghost. Wow. And that's the only explanation. That's incredible. I, I've heard this story several times. And oh, every yeah. time. No, but I've, I'm one of the listeners. I'm one of the listeners. I've had the honor of being with you quite a few times over the years, oh. including I had the joy of you coming to my living room with your son, TR, when I had had oh, surgery. We, we enjoyed that day. Yeah, so, so I've had that honor and I've been honored to listen to your story. Another story I love is a Joseph Son, First Baptist in Cluj. Oh. That, yeah. that story about forgiveness, that well, wrecked that, me when you share that. Hey, that <laughs> now, look, 
That was way later. That was after yeah. I'm at Westminster Chapel. And uh, Louise and I had gone through the greatest trial of our lives. I can't give you the details or I would violate my principle on total forgiveness. So I yeah. can't tell you more except to say it was awful. It was horrible. What happened was not right. It was just not right. It was unfair. And I, my future was bleak. I thought I was finished. And I was, I was, I'll have to say, I'm not happy about this, but I was bitter. I was angry. And I couldn't tell a soul. I couldn't tell anybody. But an old friend, you just mentioned him, Joseph Soames. In Romanian, it's T-O-N, but he changed the T-S-O-N because that's the way they would pronounce it in Romanian, Soam. He was in London and wanted to see me because he had uh, read my book on Jonah and he wanted to thank me for my book. So I spent time with him and I just think, you know what, I'm going to tell Joseph what happened to me because he's from outside London and he's not going to tell anybody. So I decided to tell Joseph exactly what happened, what they did. And he looked at me and said, anything more? No, so that's it. The story is, he said, I want you to make me a cup of tea and I want 15 minutes to take a nap. I said, no, Joseph, you'll fall asleep and you, you won't wake up. He said, I'll be back in 15 minutes. So I've made him a cup of tea and 15 minutes to the second, he was right back. I don't know how he managed to wake up like that. <laughs> he took a sip of the tea, which by then was so strong, I don't know how anybody could drink it. And he said, that's what I call a cup of tea. Those are little details I don't bother to tell people. But then he looked at me. He said, R.T., you must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them and you will be released. I said, Joseph, I can't. He said, you can and you must. You know what? It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. It was the best thing I ever did in my life. <laughs> Who could have known then? Who would have dreamed that my best-selling book would be Total Forgiveness and my story on the life of Joseph? who, by the way, dedicated, it's called God Made It For Good, dedicated it to Joseph's own. Wow. Uh, and all my teaching of total forgiveness, which I'm known for, wherever I go, they want, they think that's the only sermon I've got. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm going day after tomorrow to Phoenix, Arizona, and preach for a church there. They want total forgiveness. The following week, I'm going to Middletown, Ohio. They want total forgiveness. I, look, I've got other sermons, but... It is a life-changing word. I will have to say that. It, and that's how it started. That's amazing. I have one more thing that I wanted to tap into that I thought was just very interesting uh, uh, because I wanted to see now what are some of the wisdom you can give for... I'm 55, have a long life in front of me, and many of the listeners that are part of this... Uh, how, how old how are do you? We, how I am 55. 55? Yeah, you are the same age. 
Yeah, so what wisdom Timor would you- was born in 1966. Me too, they're the same year, January 13, 1966. Yeah, you're the same age. Yeah, wow. So oh, what, yeah. Wisdom could you, what wisdom could you give a person like me to finish well? I, I, am, I have the joy, I interviewed Papa Jack before he died. I got to hear his last words. Do you know the last word? I'm gonna send it to you so you can hear the last word Papa Jack spoke before he died when I sat at the hospital with him. So what were his last words? Now, then? when yeah, I was with him on Friday afternoon, and he, I said, Papa, well, first he said he came out because he was out of it. And then he came back and he said, Son, I've been praying for you. I have been praying for you. Because I just came home from Pakistan. And then I say, Papa, what is your favorite sermon? And he said, Moses and the rod lay it down. And that yeah. was the last time he talked. And then afterwards took him to the hospice. And then, because they, they, right after that, they turned off, bought the pacemaker, they turned off the medicine, and he had it off. But what I was saying here, Artie, is that both uh, interviewing you, Papa Charles, and other ones, what would be some wisdom to people like me to finish well? What are some of the, I know that here you, all of you are at your age, and I'm meeting so many people that are dropping off, so many people that are compromising so many people in the middle of this are shaking that even some of my heroes that are not finishing well. So what wisdom can you give me and many of us to finish well? First of all, I was in South, South Africa. A lady came up to me and I'm in my 70s. I'm in my 70s. And she says to me, it's so good to meet somebody who has finished well. That's <laughs> smile <laughs> but I waited until I was 80 to write on it and that's why I wrote the book it ain't over till it's over oh. and then I don't guess do you know who Yogi Berra was no yes you see you're Norwegian and you wouldn't yeah. know about <laughs> I'm a New York Yankee fan yeah but Yogi Berra was famous for saying it ain't over till it's over uh. So I got him to endorse my book. And the last chapter in the book, 10 Rules for Finishing Well. Wow. Now I can have Louise go find that book somewhere and, um, and read you the 10 rules. But before I do that, I was in Florence, Alabama. You know that town very well. Yep. And I, as we were, I was preaching one Sunday morning and as I was walking into the pulpit, pastor of the church stopped me and he said what's a veteran like you got to say to a young whippersnapper like me <laughs> and I said to him find out what grieves the Holy Spirit wow. and don't do that wow. wow and you've got your work cut out for you wow because it's easy to grieve the Holy Spirit by anger or bitterness and all kinds of things. But now I tell you what I'll do. <laughs> okay, here, here it is. Okay, ten principles for finishing well. You could saw you can say right theology, ten commandments. Number one, put yourself totally under Holy Scripture. Number two, be accountable to reliable people. Number three, be squeaky clean regarding finances. Four, 
maintain sexual purity. Five, come to terms with jealousy when you feel threatened by another person's gift, anointing, or popularity. Mm. Six, be willing not to get the credit for what you do. Seven, always keep your word. Eight, live in total forgiveness. Nine, be a thankful person. Ten, maintain a strong personal prayer life. Spend much time alone with God. Wow. And when I was at Westminster Chapel, I sought to pray two hours a day. And in my retirement, I still, I would pray, I'd say one to two hours a day. The average church leader in America, do you know how much time they pray? Seven minutes. Four minutes a day. Ooh. Four minutes a day. Uh, and so you wonder why the church is powerless. Uh, anyway, that's those are my 10 principles. I'm going to order the book as soon as we're finished, and I'm going to stop no, meditating on it. No, send, no, don't do that. Send me your address. And we will mail you, Carl. I won't let you pay. Uh, okay. You sign, sign the book for me then. Well, now that will cost you. That will cost me. I'm going to. <laughs> okay. One more. I'm, I'm short of cash, so I'm going to get the um, uh, $2,000. That would help me over for another two weeks. Mm. <laughs> I'll, I'll be glad to sign it if I can. hope I don't forget. Yeah. I'll certainly send you a copy. Yeah, I send you a text as a reminder too. Yeah, you, you, you should. Yeah, I would like you to pray for us and just bless us with a Father's blessing. And especially, I think there's an impartation in one of the things you have carried, as you're saying, to have a right theology, helping people have a plumb line in this season. That's something that I, I want, I honor about you. You know, I mean, you know I'm being tongue in cheek when I say <laughs> theology. I mean, if I'm honest, I think I do have it, but I don't want to make anybody feel like they're a heretic if they don't agree with me because godly people disagree and uh, I, I wouldn't ever want to uh, make that an issue. As a matter of fact, for what it's worth, 95%, maybe 99 invitations I get, they're from Charismatics and Arminians and Pentecostals they don't believe once saved, always saved. They don't believe in sovereign election. And uh, and the Calvinists who believe like I do won't touch me <laughs> and put pole yeah. because of my openness to the Holy Spirit. And they're threatened by it. So they <laughs> they just keep their distance from me. So if it weren't for Arminians, I wouldn't have any friends. <laughs> yeah. That's sad but true. Yeah, no, but one more thing though, because one of the things you helped me with tremendously, I just came from the Middle East met with both Sunnah Shia Muslim leaders uh, the day before Papa Jack uh, passed away. So I just went right from there to the hospital. So I, I, one of the things you gave me that was wisdom was there was an interview and you and Franklin Graham was on TVN. And I remember they asked you some questions in regard to, uh, it was the Israeli-Palestinian issue. And I remember you answer one time, you said, uh, I cannot answer that question. 
And I knew you had a view, but you said, it is outside my area of anointing. And I never forgot that statement that has helped me so much to realizing that I think today that a lot of people are stepping outside their lane. You have stayed within your lane. You've been faithful to your lane. And there's a tendency to jump on any wagons to the left and to the right. And as a result, we don't have any influence and we're burning up the oil because we are starting to move outside our area of anointing. And that helped me tremendously for over 15 years. Well, in my book, The Anointing, um, that's the position I take. And that's the definition I give of anointing. It's when the Holy Spirit enables your gift to function with ease. E-A-S-E. If you go outside your anointing, burnout, yeah. frustration, and you mess up, stay within your anointing. You may not be able to do what other people can do. I can't preach like Billy Graham, or I can't prophesy like some do. By the way, I'm glad I can't like some of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know my latest book? It's called Prophetic Integrity. Wow. It'll come out uh, in the new year. Uh, and I deal with that. But the point being, I stick within what God has given me. It's based on Romans 12, verse 3. I say to everyone among you to uh, live within your faith. Uh, God has given you a gift, uh, and so you live within the level of your faith, measure of faith. And the word measure is the Greek word metron, which is used in John 3.34 to describe the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Jesus had the Spirit without measure, without limit. He had all of God there is. You and I have a measure of faith. We don't have what Jesus had. He alone had all of God. I mean, he was God. What you and I have is a little bit of God in us. And we must recognize that we can't do everything. Uh, for example, you. Honestly, I think I've seen you when you had power that excelled Jack or Charles. I've noticed that about you. And I think, Lord, why can't I have that? People come to me to have them pray for them. They're afraid they're going to fall. Sometimes when I pray for them, they have fallen. It always surprises me when they do. But with you, 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 in other words, that's an anointing you've got. Uh, Jack, he's, his anointing is partly that he's a father to, to ministers. I can't be like that. Jack would meet a brand new person and give me his phone number in one minute. But I won't give my phone number out for a year. But I got it. <laughs> but, but, but Jack, you know, I admire that. Jack would take, he's got hundreds of sons, he calls them. I, I might have one or two, but that's, but it's his anointing. And you can just go to Jack and he's got time for you. Uh, and uh, I've heard him preach that sermon. I'm interested he would say to you that his best sermon, uh, God said to Moses, what you got in your hand? He said, a rod. And Jack preached that sermon to Southern Baptists, you know, 40, 50 years ago. They all remember it. So I can, I'm not surprised that he told you that. Uh, so, oh, you're asking me about 
you like the fact that I said live within your measure of anointing. Yeah, I can't be Jack. I couldn't be Charles. I can't be you. And I'm a Bible teacher. And I guess I'm a bit of a theologian. That's me. That's me. And I, I know the Bible pretty well. I've read it probably 50 times, New Testament 100 times. And you can name a, you can quote a verse and I can probably tell you where it is. Same book and chapter and verse. Just a gift I've got. But there's things I cannot do. And so I admit that. I would love it if I could do things I see other preachers do. But here's the thing. I don't have high blood pressure. I don't have anxiety. I sleep pretty well. I don't have burnout. Here I'm 86 years old. I do 21 push-ups a day. I'm wow. preaching all over the world. It was until COVID, and if it, COVID, <laughs> and if it ends, I'll be back in Korea and Hong Kong and South Africa. I live within my anointing. There are those who would never call me, but there are those who do, and God gives me all the invitations I need. So it is paid off to live within your anointing, or as you put it, stay in your lane. That's a good way to put it. Uh, and that's the point of my book called The Anointing. Yeah, I've read that book and it had a tremendous impact. I love your book, Sensitivity of the Spirit. Total. I mean, I have a lot of a lot of your books that I've read and I've read them over again. And and I think also a lot of your life messages is something I'm not just read, but it's read me. Like I can honestly say there's not one person in this world that I, if they walked into this office, there would be any tension. And that's because of the, the principle you had about Joseph and the total forgiveness. And I follow those asking myself the same question and I can I can pretty much say word for word that chapter so so that has brought a lot of <laughs> a lot of life to me my marriage my family and a lot of the people around me so I thank you for that well thank you uh, you honor me uh, I hope you don't get to know me very well because you would change your mind if you really knew me you would change your mind you see, it's the people that are at a distance from you that you admire. <laughs> Just keep it like that. <laughs> well, I, 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 the good news is I've been around you enough, but also the people that I love that has been around you enough loves you the same and even more the more they're around you. And that is good enough for me, including Papa Charles and Papa Jack. So after 20 years with you, they loved you more than they did 20 years ago. So I trust in that. My, but they know my faults. And, and, oh, yeah. uh, and, uh, you don't. <laughs> don't talk to Frida, and whatever you do, don't talk to my, don't talk to my wife. Um, <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Yes, sir. Have you ever heard of John Stott? Yes. Oh, yes. Let me, before you close, yeah. this moves me to tears. Mm. I knew John Stott pretty well, and the last time I saw him, as I'm standing at the door of his apartment in London and getting ready to go, I didn't know it would be the last time. You know what he said to me? Mm -hmm. RT, if you really knew me, you would spit in my face. Mm -hmm. I call that vulnerability. You see, the greatest saints always saw themselves as the greatest sinners. And for John Stock to share that with me, 
And uh, it's just true of all of us. If I may quote John Calvin, one thing I did learn him later, learned to know him later pretty well. He said, in every saint, there's something reprehensible. Mm. And so we all have skeletons in the closet. None of us is perfect. And uh, that's, that's just the way it is. Wow. I do want to thank you so much for all this wisdom. It's very, very precious to me and, and going to be for all of the people out there that are both going to watch and listen. We said we have a lot of pastors in every continent listening to this on a regular basis. And we have several other thousands of people that just this, this is, gives them a lot of uh, fresh meat in this season. So would you mind just praying for us and just praying a special blessing? And we just... Uh, just wanted to honor you for who you are and what you're carrying and that you have lived and loved well. Heavenly Father, who am I to pray for this man? He doesn't need me at all. Or who am I to pray for anybody who may be listening to what has gone on between Leif and me today? If I thought you would answer my prayer, if I thought you would, here's what I pray. Lord, let there be upon the person who hears this prayer, upon him, upon her, from this moment, an ever-increasing anointing of wisdom, love, power. May the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, sprinkled on the mercy seat, Likewise, by the Spirit, be sprinkled upon all of us and all who are listening and watching. Preserve, protect, supply their every need, and guide them by your Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can follow Leif on social media at Leif Hetland and sign up for our weekly newsletter at globalmissionawareness.com.